Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. I apologize for the delay. I'm so used to the show starting at 10. I forget that I pulled it up for 9 o'clock this morning. I have some other things that I need to get to um, later on today. So I am running a little bit behind. So my apologies there. My apologies. I don't know what's happening here. So how's everybody? Hey, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. Once again, I say we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And I appreciate each and every last one of you guys. Wow, you know, this is like, I'm just like, whoa. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just interesting. So anyway, thank you guys um, for listening in. And again, my apologies. That's why we have this show on a schedule, because you get used to it, right? And so... There you go. I'm a little bit behind, but still we have a bunch of great stuff happening. And, (laughs) you know, when I looked at the clock, you know, and so anyway, it doesn't even matter. I'm here now. So good, fun stuff. What else is going on with you guys? Hope it was a pleasant week. Um, Not too bad for myself. Got a lot of things that I have to do. That's why I pulled the show up for an hour so that I'll have a chance to get to these things. And so now I'm going to be a little late for that, but I will be there. But anyway, what has been going on besides the same old, same old? Um, Right now I'm getting ready to send out the information about the show starting a little early, well, actually a little late. So so good, fun stuff. You got to love it. But otherwise, I had a pretty good week, you know, nothing really to complain about. Um, You know, same old, same old. So there you go. Um, Yeah, you got to love it. So anyway, you know, we're going to talk about, we're going to continue from last week. Basically, you know, how did we go from yes, we can to Black Lives Matter to what the fuck? Because I know I am not the only one out here looking at what we call a presidential um, nomination or race for, you know, it's, it's just, you know, I don't get it, (laughs) you know, and I know a lot of people are sitting out there like, you know, what the hell, you know, people in foreign countries, you know, weighing in on this, and um, it's it's just funny, so, um, (laughs) you know, if you look at what I just sent out for the show, you know, I said white lies matter as opposed to white lives matter, you know, which is what Donald Trump is leading, you know, a White Lives Matter movement. 
And, you know, what's so interesting about it is, you know, unfortunately, some of the people that are following behind him, you know, they feel disenfranchised. And in some cases, that's true, especially for working class and poor whites. And it's just really interesting. There are a lot of different books out there. But, um, you know, The Paradox of Class is a really, really good book. And so, you know, I would recommend you guys, you know, read that to kind of give you a better understanding. But, um, you know, you've seen the surveys that are out there in which white people have stated that they feel more disenfranchised um, or they believe that they're more discriminated against than black people which is, you know, very interesting. And, you know, some of the other surveys that have come out talking about how um, there are more white people committing suicide and, you know, murdering themselves and their families, um, you know, that and, you know, a number of other studies that have um, come out. And, you know, what's so interesting about all of that is um, it's just as tragic, you know, because what's happening is, you know, a certain sector of society, they're not reproducing as quickly as they should as far as, you know, some of these leaders, so-called leaders are saying. And that's the problem. That's the problem. You know, they're not reproducing at the rate that, you know, some of these officials want them to. And so that turns, you know, so their their numbers are dwindling. And there was an article that came out. I didn't get a chance to read it, but it was talking about how or basically white people are dying out. And if you've ever visited any of the white nationalist um, websites, you know, that's one of the things that they talk about as far as, you know, why they, you know, are out here talking about white pride and, you know, trying to protect the white woman and so on and so forth. And, you know, that's not only in America. You know, you see that in Germany as well as France and a number of other places. And that is why you're seeing um, some of the violence that you're seeing, especially in France. Um, You know, there are some anti-Semitic violence, you know, not just one time. This has happened, you know, over a number of times. And, you know, it seems to... It seems like it's becoming more commonplace, which is something we definitely, definitely should worry about. You know, we should definitely be worried about that and what's happening there because, um, you know, that does, um, you know, it, it affects us. You know, even anything that happens in the United States, um, you know, they feel it globally. So, like I said, you know, just, 
you know, look around, read some of these articles to see what's happening out here and why you have um, what seems like panic mode. And you're seeing that from, you know, a lot of white people for different reasons now because, you know, the wealthy, elite, political, white community or class there, you know, they're not worried about it too much. They are, but they aren't. And, you know, you've heard us talking about, you know, social contracts, and I really need to do a show talking about that more in depth. But, um, you know, this, you know, is one of the reasons why we're seeing what we're seeing. And so um, it's just, it's, it's, it's been interesting. This past year, you know, I... Um, I've never seen anything like this. And that's the reason why many of us are sitting back and we're like, what's going on? Because, I mean, if you pay attention to Donald Trump, you'll see he says absolutely nothing. You know, we have the best ABC. You know, we have the best military. We have the best men and women serving. We have the best you know, country in the world, and I'm going to make sure it stays that way. And he said absolutely nothing. You know, and and he's in front. And so, (laughs) you know, some of the polls now have shown that he would be, you know, pretty much even with um, Hillary. But, you know, people are saying you can't pay attention to those polls right now, and it won't really matter until June, so on and so forth. And what I'm saying to you is don't let them fool you. Do not let them fool you because, man, it's (laughs) – You know, it's a lot happening. It's a lot going on. And trust and believe, you know, um, they know exactly what they want. They know exactly what they're doing. Donald Trump is just, he just, he's an opportunist. And he saw an opportunity to run for president, which feeds his ego. And also because he's a little upset with, um, you know, President Obama. And so it's just, it's it's wild, you know. But in the meantime, you know, you have, you know, um, poor and working class whites who have been disenfranchised somewhat, but it's not because of the people that they're scapegoating. They're basically, you know, blaming black you know, black people and Latinos, when that's not necessarily the truth, you know. And the whole thing is just absolutely amazing because he's just out there just doing something to do it, you know, because sometimes when he's up there talking, if you look at him and pay attention, you'll see the look on his face, and he's like, You know, he's looking like he can't believe that you all are, you know, actually falling for this. Just pay attention. And 
sometimes I'm amazed too. And so, you know, what's interesting is, you know, some of these people feel um, like this latest controversy is going to slow him down. So him, you know, acting as his own publicist and what have you under John Barron or John, that's not going to affect anything. And so, you know, what that does, it shows me the desperation, you know, (laughs) on the side of for the Democrats, because they know it's going to be kind of hard to shut him down, which is one of the reasons why you hear people out here, you know, talking about if the vote, if there's a low voter turnout, then, you know, there's a real good chance that he will win. And so... Man, huh, you know, I hate this, you know, what's happening here. So anyway, you know, over the past, you know, several years, there have been, you know, a number of incidents. And it didn't just start. This has been going on all along, you know, as far as state violence against black and brown and red bodies, right? And This has been going on for, you know, since, you know, really the absolute beginning, you know, um, and we all know the history of the police and how that started out. And, you know, it started out with trying to locate runaway slaves, and we have what we have now. And But the incidents, you know, of killing black and brown and red people in the streets, that, you know, has increased. And, you know, after what happened to Trayvon Martin, you know, we were already a little agitated, you know, before all of that. But, you know, with Trayvon Martin, you know, we were really, really upset about, you know, what was going on and put it on a national platform. And then, you know, there were several other killings. And even before Trayvon, you know, you had Amadou Diallo up in New York and Sean Bell, you know, up in New York and a number of other places. But, you know, when they murdered Mike Brown in the middle of the street in Ferguson, Missouri, you know, they were like, no, we're not forgiving you. We're not, you know, we're not having this anymore. And that is, you know, Black Lives Matter, you know, this particular network um, group of people that came to fruition right around the time, you know, um, Trayvon Martin was murdered. And, you know, during the Mike Brown um, protests, you know, it was just, you know, absolutely amazing, you know, how you had black and brown people from all over the world, banding together, you know, saying to one another, we we understand your pain. You know, we are experiencing the same things over here, and we're marching with you, and we're marching for you, you know. And, you know, when I was, I was posting like a mad woman, if you will, during that time because, you know, nobody was talking about it. And, you know, I'm desperately trying to find information because, you know, I have family that lives, 
you know, in that area there. And so, you know, it was important for, you know, me, because we couldn't contact them. If you remember, if you go back to that time, remember they turned, basically they shut down all lines of communication, cell phone, landline, internet, even the airspace. And, you know, what I'm trying to get some of you all to understand is they can do that anywhere. That's not just in Ferguson. And then that's when you all saw some that police department rolling out in their Hummer, you know, with their tactical gear, and you know how their police department is militarized. And again, you know, Ferguson is everywhere. You know that Ferguson is in Chicago. Ferguson is in Baltimore. Ferguson is in New York, Los Angeles, San Diego, you know, Sacramento, you know, Seattle, Portland. It's everywhere. Santa Fe, New Mexico, Ferguson is everywhere. You know, and it's not just black and brown bodies, but, you know, we're going to focus on that today. But, you know, we did a show talking about how expensive it is to be poor. And when you live in areas like this, especially if they're predominantly black or brown, you know, if you look at the municipal department, you'll see that it's predominantly white. You know, basically, you know, overseeing, you know, a predominantly black community. But, you know, I'm saying that to say this, you know, if you get a ticket for jaywalking, and people have gotten tickets for jaywalking. I've seen people get tickets for spitting on the ground. You do know that's illegal in some places. And so let's say the ticket was, you know, 25 bucks. If you don't pay it within 30 days, it turns to 50 bucks. And then sometimes it can increase from there. And that can go from just being a ticket to you being summoned to court. So now there are costs, you know, for them to find you, to give you your summons. And if you don't show up for that, then it could turn into a warrant. And then you have the fines. And so, you know, that's happening everywhere. And it's actually, you know, designed to be that way. And what, you know, what black, brown, and red people, you know, and particularly black and brown people, you know, what you all have to realize is the fines and, you know, all of the fees, all of that, that funds the municipalities. So they're funding, you know, their jobs and funding their, you know, positions by taking your money and keeping you oppressed. And this is one of the reasons why we say that you need to be engaged and, you know, understand and know who your mayor happens to be, or, you know, the sheriff, your aldermen, you know, your county commissioners, all of those people, because that has a direct effect on you, your state legislators, the governor, and that is what, you know, that is what has been kind of fueling 
some of this um, racist sentiment across the country because, you know, <laughs> you know, there aren't really enough jobs, you know, blue-collar jobs to go around. And, you know, we've talked about that extensively, about NAFTA and CAFTA, and you all know that I am against TPP. And so, you know, when you see some of these white people, and, you know, I focus on the Tea Partiers and Libertarians, but more so on the Tea Partiers because of their stance originally when they first came out, they were talking about jobs for white men. And so I really want you guys to go back and to look and to pay attention to what was said then and what they're saying now. It's the same thing, but it's a little bit more nuanced. But, you know, they're saying certain trigger words or trigger phrases, you know, or code words, you know, or code phrases. And they know exactly what they're doing. But anyway, you know, I'm just looking at, you know, what's happening and what we're seeing now is the rage, you know, of angry white people. And unfortunately, they're going to go after, you know, easy targets with their black and brown people. You know, unfortunately, you know, at the at the top of the list are, you know, what they call illegal immigrants or, you know, undocumented immigrants. And, you know, that's one of the, you know, groups that they're focused on. And then, you know, unfortunately, you know, they're looking at the black community. And there have been a number of incidents, you know, a few happened this week. Not a few, several, too many happened this week. And, you know, I'm sticking with some of my original opinion, you know, about what's happening now. You know... You know, and I'm measuring my words. And for the most part, you know, I do, but sometimes I just kind of let it out. But I I still believe that there are a lot of white people who resent black people because we're no longer willing to work for free. You know, and it's just amazing, you know, because you ever since, you know, we were, quote, unquote, emancipated, you know, from that point forward, we've been called lazy, you know, and every other name in the book. And it's just, is is outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. And, you know, for those of you that have worked pretty much in almost any arena there, just, you know, have you ever paid attention to how you're treated versus some of your white colleagues? Because I've been in that position and, you know, it wasn't necessarily all the white colleagues, but it was certain ones, you know, in certain places it was just across the board. You know, um, there was an incident in which, you know, one particular white male, you know, harassed, you know, the only black woman on the team. 
And he wanted to get out of that particular department and go somewhere else. And so in the meantime, you know, that that woman was harassed by him. And after she got done complaining and, you know, threatening to sue, they put him in another department. Now, personally, if I were them, I would have, you know, he would have been fired, period. But, you know, again, if you all have experienced this or you've seen it, you know, many times when the victim complains, the victim is the one that, you know, feels the wrath of HR. And for those of you who are out there under the misguided delusion that HR is there for you, that is untrue. HR is there for management, particularly upper management, but somewhat middle management. You know, their job is to protect the company. And so, you know, sometimes this is why you'll have, you know, people of color saying that they're not going to file with the EEOC because nothing is going to come from it because they've seen other people. And what happens is that individual that may take it to EEOC or complain, they become blacklisted or blackballed. And, you know, that happens quite often. And so, you know, they've seen it happen to others. But, you know, is it's par for the course. You know, and, you know, me personally, you know, looking back to when President Obama, you know, first ran in 2007, you know, and was elected. And, you know, you had everybody out there saying, yes, we can, you know, black people out there voting in droves, standing in line, you know, not really complaining about, you know, standing in line for hours. And, you know, everybody was helping one another. And, you know, some of the elderly people, everybody, you know, shuff, you know, shuffled them and pushed them to the front of the line, you know, so that they could vote. They were willing to stand in line a little longer because they wanted to make sure that the elderly and the disabled were able to vote and they didn't have to stand in line with the sweltering heat. And, you know, and it was like, it felt like black on black love. Everybody was loving one another. You know, and it was a beautiful thing. You know, I loved seeing, you know, and I'm, when I say it was a beautiful thing, I'm talking about the black on black love. And, you know, um, seeing the stories about, you know, some some of the older black people, especially was this one woman who was, you know, um, you know, saged. That's how I like to call them, you know, saged. But, you know, an older black woman in her wheelchair, voting for the very first time in her life. And I believe she was in her 80s or 90s. And her family, you know, they rolled her to the front of the line because everybody was, you know, letting her go first and clapping for her. And, you know, and it was beautiful, you know, just to see, you know, us out there and supporting and loving on one another. You know, and, um, you know, you saw a lot of that in 2012 as well, but it wasn't the same enthusiasm because, you know, there are quite a few of us that, you know, we now have um, 
you know, um, looking at President Obama, and it's like, well, what about us? What about what we're going through, right? And so, you know, a lot of us, you know, we got a little silent because we just couldn't understand, you know, how we had a sitting black president or biracial, as, you know, some white people would like to say, you know, but... um. We felt as though President Obama could have done more for, you know, black communities. And many of us felt ignored. And so, um, like I said, you know, I was talking about the love, you know, and us working together and, you know, happily standing in line to vote. You know, what happened? You know, and that's what's so interesting about what's happening now. You know, you have a lot of us that, you know, we're like, why? What's the purpose? And we've already seen, you know, Donald Trump doesn't give a damn. You know, but he's smart enough to know that he needs the black and brown vote. And this is why he's turning to, you know, these pastors and preachers. And, you know, that's one thing that, you know, I've talked about on this show, you know, and we've seen a lot of what's happening with the religious community just across the board. And the fact that these politicians know that if they go through the pastors and or preachers and ministers, what have you, that these people can deliver them some votes or deliver, you know, um, us kind of standing down and, you know, toning down our rhetoric and backing down from whatever it is that we're standing up for. And, you know, we saw that time and time again, you know, with, you know, Sean Bell, Amadou Diallo, you know, Trayvon, same thing with Mike, and here in Chicago with Laquan and Rakia Boyd and, you know, just a number of other incidents, you know, and it's not just the ones, you know, that have been killed by state violence. And so... It, it it was just, you know, it's kind of hard to process what's been happening because I know I'm not the only one here that's saying what the fuck is happening, you know, what's going on. You know, we see this white lives matter movement with Donald Trump and, you know, his sycophants, if you will, And, you know, it's distressing, it's disturbing, you know, especially, you know, with some of the incidents that we saw at the rallies, inside and outside. And, you know, I was really, really proud that Chicago shut that down. They were like, you know, no, you can't, not here. And so I was really, really proud of that, you know, because we weren't having it. That wasn't going to happen. And so, man, you know, 
you know, last year I went to the Black Lives Matter conference in Cleveland, right? And it was beautiful. You know, you felt that love, you know, everybody's checking up on one another. How you doing? You know, uh, my name is Kim. What's your name? And, you know, I met some really, really beautiful people. And, you know, I learned a lot from, you know, the different sessions that were held. You know, it was so many. And it was like, you know, you want to go to all of them, but you couldn't couldn't do that, you know. And so, you know, you had to choose wisely. And, you know, I still have the syllabus. All of that is right there, you know, picking books off from, you know, the recommendations. And it was beautiful, you know. And you guys, you know, I know that there are people that have, you know, some issues with that particular movement or certain people that participate in that movement. There are some people out here that are of the opinion that more needs to be done. And, you know, I agree. You know, there's a lot more that needs to be done. And so, you know, you have some of us out here that, you know, do other types of work and, you know, but also supporting, you know, Black Lives Matter to the best of our abilities, right? And, um, you know, there, you know, there's always going to be some issues, you know, because even with the civil rights movement and the black power movement, you know, those are two different movements happening at the same time. But, you know, they had a lot more in common than in differences, And so, you know, you're seeing some of that now, you know, because it's not just Black Lives Matter that's out here and, you know, doing grassroots activism. You know, there are a number of other groups. And I remember last week I mentioned about, you know, a couple of groups that do not want women in leadership whatsoever, And, you know, and they don't want the children out there either. And they want black men out there. They want it to focus on and revolve around issues um, pertaining to black men. And so, you know, there have been disputes, you know, all across the country in different cities. And, you know, I've I've seen some stuff. And, you know, it wasn't cool when I saw it, and I still, you know, I don't endorse it now. But, you know, we definitely need to pay attention to what's happening because if you, you know, look at what is happening with Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders. You know, you know, 7, 10, 12, 20,000 people going out to see you know, these two particular white men because they're angry with the political system that we have in this country. And, you know, and this is across the board. It's not just angry white people. You have angry black and brown and red people too, you know, because, you know, especially for Bernie Sanders, you know, um, you're seeing more black and brown people supporting him. And, you know, what's interesting about the whole thing is, 
you know, he has been on a major winning streak. And it seems as though this has, you know, Hillary and her crew worried. And they should be worried, you know, about this because more and more people are, you know, starting to support Bernie Sanders and the fact that he's willing to take this all the way to the DNC and they're preparing for, you know, a possible brokered convention. Now, you know, the word on the street was, you know, the Republicans were going to have a brokered convention, but Kasich and Cruz, they bowed out, and they went on and gave it to Trump. And, you know, ironically, you know, Trump is, you know, telling Bernie Sanders that he should run as an independent, you know, and it's just I'm looking at this because in certain cities, you know, Hillary just didn't even try spend any money. You know, same thing with um, Donald Trump. He didn't spend any money in New York. But, you know, what I'm talking about is the populist, you know, movement or reaction that we're seeing and how just the general public across the board is just fed up with these politicians. And, you know, you see them on these news shows giving these interviews absolutely astounded because Donald Trump, you know, is now the presumptive nominee. And then on the other side, you know, they definitely don't want Bernie Sanders to be in the lead. They don't want him to be the nominee whatsoever. And so they're doing everything that they can. But, you know, the people, you know, they're out here and they're saying we don't want, you know, business as usual. There are some changes that need to be made, you know, and we all know my stance on this. I feel like we should just vote them all out. But I also feel that we should be mentoring some of these young people and preparing them for these political seats, mentoring them, guiding them, supporting them, and then putting them, you know, electing them. And if they don't do their job, vote them out, period. It's not real complicated, you know, but, you know, um, what's interesting is with the Republican Party, they're, you know, trotting out the myth that Donald Trump is galvanizing new voters, new white voters, when that's not the truth. And, you know, what's so interesting about this is that you have some of these Democrats who were Reagan Democrats, you know, the Blue Dogs, and they're out there, you know, Many of them are voting for Donald Trump. And, you know, what's so interesting is, you know, you have some white people, you know, in political positions speaking out against Donald Trump. And they even call it for what it is, racism, bigotry, xenophobia, you know, whatever language, you know, you want to use there. And, you know, they're saying it. You know, we've been saying it for a while, but, of course, we're being ignored. And this is one of the reasons why we're like, what the hell is happening around here? You know, and 
you have all of this information because it's not just Flint, Michigan that's dealing with horrible water, you know, you know, toxic water, contaminated water. You know, as far as, you know, Chicago, we have water reclamation. We've had people resigning because all of this stuff is coming out. And so um, this is happening all across the country. And Governor Snyder should be in jail, you know, or they should be preparing charges against him, as well as his cronies that he put in, in power. Because a lot of people don't realize, you know, they're pointing at the mayor and the city council. And what happened was Governor Snyder, you know, appointed a special, um, you know, overseer, if you will. I forgot the title, but, um, you know, you know, um, an individual. Same thing is happening in Detroit. And they're running these cities. And basically, you know, he's he's taken the power away from, you know, the mayor as well as the city council, although they are complicit to a certain degree of what with what's happening. And so, you know, you guys, it's just really important that you guys do some research and go out there and see what's happening in your own backyard. You know, when we had Christopher Everett on a show he was talking about, you know, the the insurrection, the massacre, you know, that happened in Wilmington. And, you know, he said, go out into your own, you know, city, your own backyard. There's a lot of information there. You know, what we're seeing, you know, coming out more and more now, because if you go back to 2007, 2008, when we had the mortgage crisis, you know, and that got a lot of people's attention because people were losing their homes, losing their investments, and, you know, you had banks and wealthy white landowners buying these properties in bulk. And, you know, it's, it's still happening. You know, there was an article out the other day, and I'm going to have to remember to post it, and it was talking about contract buying. And how in the 60s and 70s, in here in Chicago, you know, it was happening all across the country. So when I make a reference to Chicago, please understand I'm talking about your city too, you know, because it's been happening all over. But you had a lot of black and brown people who were not able to get traditional loans at the banks. You know, we've talked about redlining. We've talked about predatory loan Loans. We've talked about a number of these things. We talked about how the FHA was complicit in keeping these neighborhoods segregated. Well, you know, a lot of black and brown people, when they couldn't get the traditional loans, they had to buy via contract. So they would make a contract with the homeowner and purchase the home that way. And sometimes they would pay, you know, you know, double, triple, quadruple what the actual value of the home was. And so, you know, a lot of that contracting, you know, it never stopped, but it's becoming a hot thing again. And, you know, it's not regulated as, you know, quote, unquote, strictly as the mortgage industry. And you have people out here entering into these contracts because they want homes and there was a book and by a woman, hold on, I know I have it here. 
and because I'm waiting for them to release it on Kindle because I want the book. But in this book, she was talking about what happened with the contract buy in the 50s, I'm sorry, in the 60s and the 70s. The name of the book is Family Properties. And so, you know, look that up, purchase the book. Um, you can find it on Google Books as well. So, I mean, you can buy it that way and read it. But, um, you know, and it's talking about, you know, how black and brown people were duped and how it's made a comeback. And so, you know, this is another way in which we are disenfranchised, oppressed. And, you know, I've, I've seen white people doing the same thing, you know, especially with some um, some of these, you know, country areas, you know, um, agricultural areas. You see a lot of that. But the people are angry. You have people that are underemployed. You still have a large segment of people that are unemployed and, you know, a lot of people aren't seeing, you know, a viable future. And, you know, who who enjoys living check to check, living hand to mouth? I don't think anybody enjoys that, you know, and no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, it seems like you can't get out of that rut. And when we start talking about, you know, the government, and how it's been complicit and in some cases leading, you know, um, the systemic racism that we're dealing with. Yes, people are going to get angry. You know, and what's interesting is that, you know, you have a lot of working class and poor whites who feel as though, you know, they're being discriminated against. And it's not necessarily that. The problem is is that, you know, a lot of their entitlements and privileges, you know, they haven't been taken away, but they're not as readily available as they used to be. And they've become accustomed to a certain type of privilege, and when they're not getting it at the rate, you know, or the value that they feel that they deserve – you know, they they decide to, you know, scapegoat, you know, other communities. And this is what we're seeing. And, you know, I saw something beautiful on the news the other day in which, you know, you had a lot of Latinos that went down to the border and their family members were at the border. And so they were able to spend, you know, I believe it was like three minutes you know, engaging their family that, you know, that made it there to see them. And, you know, this is not the first year that it was done, but it's getting bigger and bigger every year so that they could see relatives that they hadn't seen in a while. And, you know, it's, you know, I was fighting back tears, if you will, you know, and we need to do something to revamp you know, our immigration process. And it's not only Mexicans, you know, you have people from Honduras, you have people from Africa, Jamaica, just all over the world. But it seems as though, you know, the black and brown immigrants are being targeted the most. You know, even though you're not seeing it a lot in the news, you know, you have a lot of, you know, you know, Africans and others that are being targeted and being deported. 
you know, and it's happening. And, you know, we're seeing, you know, more movements by them. And so, you know, you guys, you just need to do some research. I need you to pay attention. You know, get out here. You know, let your voice be heard. You know, speak out against what's wrong. And, I mean, you know, yeah, change is scary. You know, a lot of us, you know, we don't like change. But change is happening. And it's nothing that we can do (laughs) to change that. You know, it's going to happen with or without our permission. And so, you know, the demographics in this country are changing. You know, they've been talking about the browning of America since, you know, really the mid-'80s. You know, I have an old magazine. I believe it was a Time magazine that was talking about the browning of America, you know, and that's happening now. And even though they're saying soon white Americans will be the minority, that's not true. They're already the minority. But they're not saying that because, you know, look at what we're seeing now, even with these rallies. You know, they're not stupid. They know they're the minority. And, you know, this is what's causing some of this anger and rage. It's about losing power, losing privilege, you know, which is why you hear so many of them, you know, asking us, why do we have to have our own groups? Why can't we just assimilate into, you know, already pre-existing groups? Why can't we just, you know, be more like them, if you will? And, you know, what's interesting is we see, you know, a lot of our movements, campaigns, uh, you know, hairstyles, music being appropriated, co-opted. And, you know, this is just across the board, you know, because there have been moments in which the Indian culture, and I'm talking about, you know, East Indians as well as West Indians, both, you know, and um Asian culture, Latino, Hispanic, all of that, all these different cultures being co-opted and appropriated. And they don't seem to understand, you know, why that can be offensive. But what's interesting is when they created that Caucasian T-shirt and people were walking around with the Caucasian T-shirt, they were offended. So you don't mind calling, you know, your team the Redskins or the Braves or the fighting, well, you know, the mascot for, you know, the University of Illinois, Urbana, you know, being an Indian, you know, even though they said they retired it, but, you know, they have no problem with that. They claim that they're, you know, celebrating and they admire the culture. You know, even with black people, if you look at some of the movies, you know, that they have out here, you know, you'll see that they have black and Latino people, you know, as, you know, the magical Negro or the magical, you know, Latino or what have you, Chicano. And it's amazing because I've had some white people say that, you know, and these are, you know, a couple of allies that, you know, they look up to black people. 
and how they feel that when we go out here and and talk about these issues and protest against the injustices, you know, they say they look up to us. They feel like we're more mature, that, you know, we have, you know, um, you know something that we're trying to achieve. And, you know, that's where it gets a little complicated. But, you know, guys, as I said before, do not fool yourselves because if Donald Trump wins, you know, Donald Trump himself, you know, has not said enough or said or did enough to tell his people that, you know, going out and mistreating people of other ethnicities, cultures, nationalities, races, you know, that, you know, antagonizing and tormenting and abusing those people. He hasn't said enough to tell them that it's wrong. And, you know, what I'm worried about is after this convention, and he's named as the Republican nominee, you know, what's going to happen after this? See, that's the biggest part of what the fuck. You know, and let's say hypothetically, if he wins, then what? Because, again, um, you have, you know, look at George Zimmerman and, you know, a number of other people that feel as though they can shoot, beat, you know, kill us or, you know, or whatever, because they feel that we are being disrespectful to them or we talk to them the wrong way. And if you go back through history, that was one of the reasons why you started seeing some of the big migration. Besides, you know, black people and brown people looking for jobs, you know, but part of it was the fact that they were being treated horribly in the South. You know, and the North wasn't that much better, trust me. You know, you had to go and read the stories about, you know, how a lot of blacks were, you know, treated the same way up North. This information is out there. Go and research it, you know. But, you know, what we're looking at now is the possibility of a Trump presidency. And, again, you know, the fact that he's not saying anything you know, to some of the supporters who are out here, you know, with these ideas that, you know, they're taking it back to, you know, Jim Crow or pre-Jim Crow days. Because, you know, you have people out here that want to take it back to the 1800s, you know, and they want things to return to the way it used to be. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in, you know, I don't want things to go back to the 1800s. It's just not going to end well, you know, and you see what's been going on. But, again, you know, a lot of Americans, you know, especially black and brown Americans, we've been saying that you cannot trust a lot of these institutions. We've been saying this for a while, 
And, you know, what we find interesting and in some cases funny is when you do a study, you spend all this money and all these years to come up with the same conclusion we already gave you. You know, but all of that time, you know, you weren't believing what we were saying, you know, because we're, you know, overly sensitive. And we make everything about race when it's not about race. And it's just interesting because you have some white people out here that feel as though they're the authority on racism and they get to determine what racism is. And, you know, when we complain about it or we talk about it or we confront it, you know, we're just whiners and complainers and troublemakers. And, you know, it's, it's, You know, it's not laughable because we're living this, and these people, you know, are determined to, quote, unquote, put us in our proper place. And, you know, they want their country back. You know, and that was, you know, one of the biggest chants that, you know, or, yeah, chants that you heard, we want our country back. And, uh, you know, we're out here, and we're saying enough is enough to these politicians. But the thing is, is that we don't have enough of them denouncing a lot of this problematic behavior. And so the question is, what's going to happen? Because I need for you guys to understand that, This is bigger than, you know, Trump. This is bigger than Sanders. You know, it it could have been anybody. It didn't have to be those two specific people. You know, it could have been, you know, another couple of people that was running for the presidency. But people are fed up across the board. And especially what's been happening with the Congress and President Obama. Nothing has been getting done. And so it's just stagnant, you know, and it's being done on purpose, and it doesn't seem as though it's going to change. And so what happens then? Because a lot of this anger, you know, is boiling over. We have to try to find a way to simmer this because it's going to be a lose-lose all the way around. And so... We have to find a better way, you know, but unfortunately, you know, you have certain groups of people, certain, you know, white people that feel that all of this should revolve around, you know, their particular race and their problems and their needs. And, you know, what they don't, some of them don't seem to understand is that it has always revolved around them and their needs, and their privileges, you know, it's always revolved around white supremacy, which is why you see us talking about it. And so when they lose any little bit or percentage of their, you know, privileges, they they feel like it's racism. And no matter how you try to explain it to some of them, they'll never understand, especially if they're working class or poor. And so that's why I thought it was interesting with Kevin Williamson's um, article in the National Review 
You know, they basically told them that they feel the same way about them that they feel about black people. And the thing is, is that don't fool yourselves. They know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly what we're dealing with. They understand, you know, our oppression. They just don't want to acknowledge it. They don't want to acknowledge the role that they played in all of this. And so, you know, that's part of the problem because you have working working class and poor whites who can't necessarily understand. But you also have to remember that there's, you know, a certain amount of shame, if you will, to be white and poor. And so when you hear some of these white people out here and you hear them saying that it's not about race, it's about class, well, in your community, that that is true. It is about class in the white community. You don't face or deal this, with the same oppression and, and xenophobia that, you know, people of color do. And what's interesting is there are some people that are classified as white, but they really are people of color, you know, but they've been, you know, kind of pulled over into that particular Venn diagram, you know, so that white people won't go into absolute chaos, you know, when they understand that they are now the true minority. And so, like I said, guys, you need to go out there. You need to read. Oh, also, some of you guys, Puerto Rico, Puerto Ricans are American, okay? You know, I saw some interviews, and they were talking about sending the Puerto Ricans back. Yeah, that's what I said, too. So, you know, go out there and um, <laughs> go out there and pay attention. You know, when you see people standing in line five, six, seven, eight hours, jumping through all kind of hoops just so that they can register to vote, I went through that here in Illinois. I was pissed, you know, and I just, you know, found another way to do it. But, you know, those are basically poll taxes. And when the Supreme Court struck down Section 5, like I said, you all need to pay attention. Section 2 is next. But what I want you guys to do is go and do some research on the Populist Party. Um, and also, um, and, and, and many of them were, were uh, anti-racist, which is why I'm telling you to go and look them up. You know, you also need to go and look up Colored Farmers Alliance. Um, you know, there is a book, and, you know, I sh- always keep my Amazon ready. But um, I bought a book that, you know, I need to read because it was talking about Alabama and the farmers out there, you know, how they banded together um, in regards to, you know, saving their farms and, you know, let's see here, my digital orders. But, um, yeah, you know, it's a lot of good books out there talking about you know, blacks and the co-op or cooperative communities and, you know, what was happening then and how we put some things together and how we prospered 
And, you know, it's a lot of really, really, really good books out there. And, yeah, I know some of you all are like, how many books do you have? Way too many, right? And so, <laughs> well, I guess you can never have too many books. But um, where is this? Oh, it shows my last six months. You know, so let's go to 2015. But um, let's see here. What the Liberty Party, there you go. You know, because I wanted to do a show on that specifically. So, yeah, the Liberty Party, also Hammer and Ho. That's the one talking about the Alabama communists um, and the farmers and what they were able to do and what they were able to achieve. But um, I definitely want to talk about the Liberty Party. I want you guys to go and do some research on that and why that was important. Um, the Colored Farmers Alliance, you know, the book Hammer and Hoe. And um, also you need to go back and look at what happened once, you know, the slaves were emancipated. You need to understand how then America started importing, um, you know, primarily Chinese people, you know, Asians to come over and to do some of the work. The same thing with the Latinos, the Mexicans, and what was happening up there, especially in California, and um, Cesar Chavez and all of them and what, you know, they did, you know, for, you know, I would also tell you to go look up Che Guevara and what happened in Cuba, you know, what really happened over in Cuba and why we've been so angry with them for so long. Even though, you know, um, President Obama is trying to normalize relations um, with Cuba, you know, there's a lot to be told, you know. And also, you know, the allies and, you know, just go back and read because, you know, we're always talking about the propaganda in the news, and, you know, you never really get the whole story, which is why, you know, many of us recommend different newspapers from all over the world. And I was really, really upset when Al Jazeera America, you know, pulled out. So, you know, um, the populist movement you have today is much different than the populist movement of yesteryear. So, you know, that's why I'm saying that uh, you need to go back and take a look and read about it. Now, I'm not saying that there weren't, that there wasn't any racism then, because there was. You know, you know quite a bit of it, but you need to go back and understand the history and how history is being repeated. And we talk about that on this show quite often. You know, it's the same old shit. They just different names, you know, and different people, but it's the same thing. And they already know how we're going to respond to this, which is why I say we have to use strategy and be tactical because it can't go on. You know, it keeps repeating over and over. And, you know, how are we going to get free? You know, and, you know, there are some people that are saying we are free. 
Well, that's kind of subject to debate. You know, we're free as long as we stay in our lane, as long as we know our place. But the minute we start challenging the status quo and start challenging some of these belief systems and, you know, some of these laws that have been in place, you know, is going to remain the same. And so what I've seen on many occasions is, you know, yes, there are racist individuals out there, you know, but, you know, we're trying to get policy changed, which is why, you know, it's kind of interesting with Bernie Sanders' crew and his movement. And, you know, they're going to fight to help put some of their you know, policies that they've written, you know, they want to see those put into the Democratic platform that they're going to build at the convention. So you guys go and look this up, go and see what's happening out here. And again, you know, I'm still, you know, amazed that they elected, you know, Muslim mayor in London. And people are out there losing their minds, you know. So, you know, it should be interesting. But, yeah, go up and look up angry white male and what's happening with that. And we spoke, like I said, a little bit last week about how it seems like the only two groups that really matter are white females and black men. And, you know, it's interesting. You know, you've heard a number of people out here, you know, and what you're seeing now with these, you know, white men who feel disenfranchised, you know, they they want attention and they want attention brought to the fact that their entitlement and privileges and power and wealth is being challenged and in some cases, you know, has been totally decimated. And so, you know, they want people to understand why they are so angry. And, um, you know, they're going to continue, you know, kicking a can down the road. So, you know, um, go back. And it's important that you understand and you know um, why the Bible Belt plays a big role in this and why it was important for Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton to dominate and win, you know, the southern part of the U.S. In order for you to understand what's happening now, you know, and we've talked about the New Deal and, you know, how affirmative action was really started for white women. I mean, let's just call it what it is. White people benefited from it the most, but especially white women. And so, you know, even a couple of years ago, I remember talking about President Obama and how he was cutting link or food stamps, you know, across the board, but they made some exceptions for people that live out in the rural areas, out in the country areas, and how, you know, they were able to not necessarily feel the brunt 
of the majority of those cuts. And what we need for you all to understand is that it's poor people, you know, um, elderly people and disabled people that are hurt the most by this, you know, poor blacks and Latinos. But, um, you know, black poverty, you know, especially children living in black poverty, you know, that has increased astronomically. And nobody's talking about it. And, you know, it's like we've talked a little bit about it, and, you know, it's disturbing. It's disturbing. So, you know, you see, you know, a lot of these white people lashing out. And, you know, in some cases, yeah, they're actually losing some of their entitlement and privileges. But in some cases, it's just perceived. You know, and so, yeah, <laughs> you know, and I read this one article and it was talking about white men are mad because women and minorities aren't being kept in their place anymore by white men, you know, and has a lot to do with patriarchy. And that's the reason why you see a lot of people, you know, voting and rallying behind Donald Trump because they think he's a tough guy. They think he's a man's man, and he's not going to take it anymore, and he's going to keep these people in their place and kick their asses back to where they belong. You know, (laughs) that is, you know, what it is. And unfortunately, you know, country is built on that type of patriarchal delusion. You know, even though it's being challenged and we're talking about this, and as I've stated in the past, academic speak is not really very friendly, which is why we have to break some of this down because, you know, with these people, they're seeing these words and they're like, where the hell are these new words coming from? And so it's, it's interesting because, you know, I've I've been in conversations, and, you know, I'll have white people saying, well, I don't understand it. Educate me. Now, there are some that truly do not understand it, but then there are others that are just being ornery. And, you know, and many of us, we've stopped. You know, we've stopped trying to explain a a lot of this to white people, and we're telling you, go read a book you know, or show up to some lectures or, you know, listen to some of your, you know, your so-called black friends because everybody has at least one, right? At least that's the story that's being, you know, told. And so, guys, um, it's important to understand because, you know, these white people feel that we are taking things that are rightfully theirs, you know, being it belongs to white people. And, you know, even if you look at a lot of these movements, you know, because I went in on it last Sunday and I was talking about the LGBTQ movement. I talked about the, you know, um, the trans movement, you know, which is part of the LGBTQ movement. It is, but it isn't, you know, and how those demographics, you know, have changed. 
Same thing with the feminist movement. And what's interesting is even with the Black Lives Matter movement, it's like, you know, it's like Donald Trump and his crew has kind of co-opted it. You know, and, you know, I'm being a little facetious there, but not so much. And so um, this is, I've never seen anything like this. And I'm sure some of our ancestors, you know, felt the same way when they were going through it because some of it is frightening. Some of this is confusing. And a lot of this is just outright angering. And so we're sitting here, we're listening to this, and we're being forced into the corner um, in, in many situations, in many regards. And, man, <laughs> you know, this is not going to end well. This is not going to end well. So, um, yeah, go back and read. I remember I read Stupid White Men by um, uh, the Flint guy, Rogers. I can't remember his name, guys. Forgive me. Um, but that's up in Michigan, and, you know, he does the documentaries. But he wrote the book Stupid White Men. When did I read? That was the early 90s. You know, and I think I probably need to pick it back up because, you know, um, it was manifest then, you know, but, you know, it's really truly in our face now. So go back, look that up. Go back and look up the history of blue-collar jobs and factories and work and what happened with NAFTA. Yes. And so, um, you know, what's interesting is is that, you know, you have a lot of, you know, people, working class, middle, and in some cases upper middle class, white people who are angry that their positions have been stolen from them, their jobs, you know, like the caller last week, you know, when that's not necessarily the case. But, you know, again, you know, they're telling you all that we need to start looking at these things from a more global perspective. And with TPP, you know, if you were angry, you're just going to outright have, you know, a conniption once that's passed and a few years have passed by and a few jobs that are left, you know, you're going to be underpaid or paid less than what you feel that you are worthy of. So, you know, again, we need to pay attention to what's happening out here. It is not to our benefit to ignore, you know, this this anger and, you know, this movement we can't we can't afford to ignore it. We need to pay attention. We need to be on our guard. This is why I tell everybody that you definitely need to pay attention to what's happening. You know, and it's just interesting because you know you have people scapegoating you know Muslims, and you know what was interesting about that one white guy that just sucker punched that black guy you know, said, well, he could have been, you know, ISIS for all he knows. And, you know, and I mean, I want you guys to think about that. And think about what I've said before. You know, they have a problem with Islam or Muslims because it's a black and brown religion. 
and they can't control it. And they have not found a way to manipulate and exploit it in the manner that is beneficial to them. And so, you know, you need to pay attention. So, you know, like I said earlier when I was talking about, you know, how, you know, they're not only trying to scapegoat Mexicans, you know, immigrants from Mexico and South America, um, you know, the Nigerians. Donald Trump has outright told the Nigerians that he is sending them back. So that's why I was talking about the African immigrants go back and look it up, you know, and people are being scapegoated all over the place. And when you confront it and you talk about it, you know, they, you know, they are in total denial. And so, huh, you know, we need to pay attention because, you know, you have some people out here that are ignoring it. And they're saying, well, you know, they're not talking about us, so I'm not worried about it. But, you know, what happens when, you know, it comes down to us? You know, will we have anyone here, you know, to help us or to stand with us? And this is why, you know, when we talk to the allies, you know, you have to stand up and you have to confront it. When you hear that, you know, racist or sexist, you know, xenophobic, you know, language and behavior, you have to say something about it. So, again, this is going to take some research, some studying. You got to pay attention to what's happening because, you know, this is not by chance, not by chance. You know, and it's not a coincidence, you know. And as far as, you know, what's been happening, you know, with Donald Trump, you know, it's one of America's, you know, little secrets, you know, dirty little secrets, you know, trying to say that, you know, we were living in a post-racial, colorblind society and trying to say that, you know, they gave us a black president, and we're still not happy. And so, guys, <laughs> go and look, you know, because, you know, with the Tea Partiers, you know, the basic premise of their whole revolt, if you will, is that they didn't want a black person in charge, a black man. And so, you know, when President Obama was elected, you know, it started restoring hope in, in you know, in, in many communities and many people. And, you know, they want, you know, they need for us to be depressed. They need for us to feel despondent and all of those other, you know, adjectives that are out there, you know, because it's easier to control people when, you know, when they feel as though, they have no future. They have, you know, they don't really have many choices, you know. And, you know, and that's just not black and brown people. You know, a lot of white people have the same sentiment because if you listen to some of their stories, you know, they'll say that they did everything they were supposed to do, that they were told to do, and they were still fucked over. You know, and we've heard that story across the board. And so, 
go out and pay attention to what's happening. Like I said, we're going to have another dip. And we just need people to pay attention to what's going on out here. And never think that it can't happen to you. Because once you get in that particular mindset and feel that it can't happen to you, that's usually when it blindsides you, and it does. And so we cannot dismiss Donald Trump or the people that support him. You know, a lot of people are underestimating him, and that is to our detriment. So he's the presumptive Republican nominee. That should have been a wake-up call. You know, more than a wake-up call, that should have been a slap. And so, and, you know, you have a lot of, you have some of these preachers, black preachers, saying that Donald Trump is going to bring jobs back. And under Donald Trump, you know, everybody is, you know, going to have a chance to be millionaires and, you know, all of that. You know, and again, you know, I've tied Donald Trump to the prosperity gospel because if you pay attention to his rhetoric, you know, if you didn't know any better, I would swear he was, a, you know, one of these megachurch pastors. And he's been reaching out to them. Now, don't think that's a coincidence. So, I mean, it's interesting because we have the trillionaire class coming up. You know, I mean, a million dollars is not a lot of money. You know, it's probably more than what some of you have right now, but it's still not a lot of money, you know, so it's, it's just Jedi mind tricks, you know, selling everybody, you know, the false hope and dream that, you know, one day they too will be a millionaire or a billionaire. And so you have some people that are voting a certain way because they want to make sure things are right when they become a millionaire or a billionaire and all of their money won't go to taxes. And that is the mindset that, you know, some people have. And if you go and you look at some of these mega pastors like Paula White, Creflo Dollar, you know, Eddie Long, Bill Winston, you know, Frederick Price Sr. and Jr., you know, Kenneth Copeland, you know, um, Ira Hilliard, out there in Texas, T.D. Jakes, they've been telling these people that you're next in line for a miracle, and, you know, and and this has been going on for decades. And so the politicians have found a way to capitalize on that particular way of thinking. And many of these ministries, you know, you know you've kind of set your people up for the okey-doke. And some of you that are selling Donald Trump to your ministries, you know, I don't understand it. I mean, yeah, you want more money in your pocket, but what about the people that live in an area? Most of your churches are in poor, you know, poor areas of town. You know, you own property in those same poor areas. Do you not care about the people? Is it just about you? And, you know, that's just not just the pastors. This goes out to the community leaders as well, to some of the community activists. 
because you got a lot of people out here capitalizing on this. And so, um, again, with this Make America Great Again, you know, <laughs> but it's, it's interesting because Donald Trump, you know, you have a lot of white people out here who feels as though he is their last chance to turn this country, you know, back to what it used to be, to turn it around and make it great again. And, you know, this is, you know, I've never seen anything like this. And I've studied a lot of history, and I still have a lot to learn. You know, this is a process, you know, all of this. And this is why, you know, we challenge you guys to go and do some reading. Because when you start reading about this and seeing the history on it, you know, you know, sometimes I've had to put books down because I got so angry and upset. You know, another thing that I want you all to go out and research, research racial scapegoating, you know, American scapegoating. You're going to find a lot of information, a lot of information that you all did not know about, you know. And so, you know, also the talk about reparations. And what's so interesting is when the Affordable Care Act passed, you had a lot of white people saying, well, that was, you know, reparations for black people, you know, and, and that's not true. And so it's, it's you know, you can't, it seems as though you can't win either way you put it, you know. And, you know, if anything is done for, you know, black and brown communities, particularly black communities, you know, you hear the whining, you hear the anger, you hear people saying, well, we've done enough for them. It's been enough. And that's not true. You know, especially if you understand how the wealth of this country was built and especially how the wealth of this country is sustained. And so that's why I always talk about how, you know, poverty is an industry. Fear is an industry. Anti-blackness is an industry. They make money on this, people. And you need to understand how how and why. And, you know, all of this plays into the capitalism. You know, I still haven't finished reading the half that was never told. But let me tell you, that's a damn good book. You know, and I have been learning so much more from that book, things that, you know, I had no idea about. You know, that's why we bring certain things up on the show. And I encourage you guys to go out and do some research and get a better understanding because, you know, a lot of people don't understand the history. And this is where, you know, quite a bit of the conflict comes in. But you got some people that understand damn well what's happening and, you know, they are going to do everything they can to deflect and derail. And that's just how it goes. So where do we go from here? Well, I know where I'm not going from here. We're not going back to the 1800s, but we're going to move forward. And we have to move forward, you know, in a collective sense. And so we're going to have to work together more. We're going to have to strategize and, you know, work in such a way that you have a lot of these communities of color coming together and, you know, working towards, you know, our common good. And also, you know, 
some of you Latinos and Asians out there, don't fall for the okie doke. They, you know, you're not white. You know, you're not. And so we need to work on these things. And so, yeah, that's the end of this. You know, uh, we'll probably bring this back up later on in the future, but I know I'm not the only one out here looking around confused at what's been taking place over the past year or two. You know, it's actually been happening since 2007, 2008, but this Donald Trump, you know, phenomena, you know, this has really captured my attention because I remember about, you know, I was talking to someone and what's happening now in the United States was the same thing that happened in Germany. And we need to be very careful about, you know, what we say and what we do. So anyway, that is that. And so next week, I'm not sure what I'm going to talk about, but I'm going to talk about something. The Sunday after that will be no show, okay? But the Sunday after that, I'll be back and um, talking about some other great, wonderful things. Um, People of Color Beyond Faith is, you know, um, sponsoring a couple of um, urban garden plots again this year. We did it last year. We're doing it again this year. And so, you know, the yield from the garden will be given to this Catholic church. They have the French nuns there, and they feed the communities. So that's what's happening there. Also, um, National HIV Testing Day is coming up. Find somewhere in your city where you can volunteer to help out. If you go to greaterthanaids.org, you know, they have listed in all of the states and cities different groups that are out there that will be out there testing and, you know, giving away prophylactics. Um, World AIDS Day is always December 1st, and you can volunteer in between. You know, that type of outreach doesn't just happen a few times a year. And so, you know, there are a number of different things that you you can do to volunteer in your community, a number of wonderful groups. Go out there, look it up, you know, and you'll be able to move forward. So, again, you know, keep your eye out on what's happening. You know, you got some Republicans looking for a third-party candidate because they refuse to work for Donald Trump. He just, you know, is amazing because now he's saying that taxes for the rich may go up a little bit. So, you know, you got to remember a lot of people in this country, they vote with their pocketbook, you know, and that's been the history of this particular uh, run for office. And so, you know, a lot of this is created and manufactured and it's done on purpose. And so we have to start, you know, being able to decipher what is propaganda and what is truth. Go back, read, research, learn something, take a few notes, and thanks for listening to the show. I appreciate you guys. Have a lovely Sunday. Take care. And we'll be back at regular time next week, 10 a.m. Thank you. Take care, everybody. Have a good day.